done that, I have the t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> You jumped in to your credit. You jumped right in. I did. I put my phone down. I was like, yep, I'm here. I'm here for all of it. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. Amanda, today we are talking with Jeff from our friends group, our Mm -hmm. friends board, about Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Jeff was just one of my favorite guests ever, not to judge any of the other guests. They were fine, but... (laughs) (laughs) You should cut out the they were fine part. (laughs) But Jeff was just so interesting. He brings so much interesting information to the table that I didn't know about before. I was like hanging on every word. I felt like I was in a sci-fi movie the whole time. I feel like I learned something about the world today. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. Um, he was a fantastic guest. And I was saying to Olivia after we stopped recording that, I was silent as the grave for a good portion of the first half of the recording. And it wasn't because I didn't feel like I could say anything. It was because I felt like I didn't need to say anything to add yeah. what, to what he was saying as a guest. So fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, really knowledgeable person Um, on our friends board. We're so lucky to have our friends. And so we are talking about Parable of the Sower, which was written in 1993 by Octavia Butler, who is just a revered sci-fi writer. And this book gained in popularity in 2020. It was, it's, it's one of those strange stories where it was written in the early 90s, but it did not hit the bestseller list until 2020. So clearly this is a book that has staying power, and because it is climate fiction, it is a book that we are returning to as we continue to talk about things like global warming and climate change and all kinds of stuff like that. Do you mind giving just like a little brief synopsis of the book for our listeners? I just wanted to use a synopsis that was actually in a Vulture article from, I think it was this past December. Uh, So it says, the resulting book... Parable of the Sower begins in Southern California in the year 2024. Earth ravaged by the climate crisis called the apocalypse or the pox is beyond repair. People have become chained to systems of indentured servitude by company-owned cities. The narrative follows Lauren Olamina, a precocious 15-year-old living in a gated community surrounded by adults who try to fortify its defenses. She knows this safety is an illusion and records her belief secretly in a notebook. She suffers from hyperempathy disorder, a crippling condition that causes her to feel what others feel. It forces her to be a tougher, faster decision maker. She becomes the magnetic leader of a new religion, but works slowly and subtly through actions and common sense. There's a lot to unpack today on the podcast. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And we do. We get into sci-fi. We get into climate fiction. We talk about Octavia Butler as a person. Mm Mm-hmm. Talk about the relevance of the book in 2023. I said 2022. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking it's 2024. Well, after reading this book, you're going to be glad it's not. I'm glad it's not. Let's just There's a lot. enjoy this while it lasts. <laughs> and away we go. So we were talking a little bit before about your job and how you work in 
security. Right. Is that what you call it? Called yeah, security? I work in information security. Information. I'm Altair's chief information security officer. So it's you're just like hunting down hackers all the time. So it's a lot of it's a lot of different things, but yes, we do have to deal with hackers. Uh, we have to also be hackers too because we have to look at our software products and think, okay, how could somebody use one of these against somebody, mm. and how can we prevent that from happening? So a lot of what my work is is helping our software developers and helping our, our people that use our software be safer. Uh, and, and so it's a lot of different areas there that we have to deal with, but we also have to look at how can we make our software so it also uses less environmental resources, which kind of ties into Octavia's work here. Mm. The more inefficiencies that we have in our software and the more security layers we put around our software, sometimes we actually end up using more power, more system resources. We run the fans in your computer harder. You'll notice when your antivirus scanner runs a lot, your fans and your computer mm -hmm. kick up. We use more power that way. So we want to make sure that we're being also good citizens, and that means making sure that our software is safe. I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it as like a, like a green initiative that you'd have to have that mm -hmm. in mind, but of course. A lot of it ties in because when you have thousands of people running this, it, it, it's actually a measurable impact. If you have a, a situation where you're making things worse for one person and then many people use that same software, uh, you may actually be noticeable and, and get to the point where you can actually see, if I stop running that software, my computer runs cooler. Okay, well, I'm going to stop running that software, and we don't want to be in that situation. So they all kind of tie together. Security is a, it's kind of a tripod problem. The more you increase security, the more controls you put on, the harder you run the computers, and sometimes the harder you make the software to actually use. So we have to have a balance. And unfortunately, that's the criminals take advantage of that balance. Interesting. Hmm. So you probably have to like presuppose what a hacker might do too, and like try to get in their heads and think about what they would do. Making this into a, like a mo my next movie. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's a lot of uh, it's certainly a lot of uh, creative potential here on this. There's a lot of stories to tell in, yeah. in security, and you're absolutely right. Uh, and of course, the worst situations are when you're dealing with healthcare. You can actually hurt somebody, and hackers oh, yeah. have caused impacts with hospitals not being able to treat patients and things like that. But in our world, where I work, the risks that we have is is perhaps not being able to run a simulation on time, and then we can have a customer lose money. So mm -hmm. it's very important to us that we keep all this uh, you know, moving forward and, and making sure as well that, again, we have that balance. And when we make mistakes, then hackers can take advantage of that and they can steal data, which is not good. They can also cause, like I was saying, they can cause environmental issues. They can even lock you completely out of your computer where you cannot work at all. Mm -hmm. So again, we don't want to be contributing to that. So we, we, we put a lot of effort into making sure that that's, uh, that's not the case. It's a lot of fun. It's not just firewalls anymore. A lot of our work now is actually modifying our software, making it better. So I don't think it will surprise anyone to know that you're a science fiction fan with all of that <laughs> in your background. <laughs> well said. Yeah, I love science fiction. Yeah. So what... We'll talk, maybe we can talk a little bit about science fiction in general, and then also about the book that you picked for us to talk about today, which is The Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Do you want to start maybe with your history with that particular series? Yeah, well said. So really, uh, what, what got me going on it a long time back was I had heard that Octavia was writing creatively about what was going to happen to our climate, and I heard that she was prophetic in a way. Mm -hmm. So... And I, I ended up rereading it, actually, about a year ago when there was this talk of these doom loops. And occasionally you hear that in the media. And that's where we get so obsessed with solving 
crises, that that's all we do. And it kind of resonates with my job. We can get to a situation where we're so obsessed without with computer security and so forth that we forget that we actually have to be able to use our computers and do real work. And we have to sometimes accept risks uh, and so forth. And what Octavia's work does is it brings some hope to that. Uh, and she also pokes at religion, uh, and she pokes at other science fiction. Some, some of them are tropes, uh, admittedly, but she, she pokes at a lot of things that a lot of science fiction authors have covered in the past. So if you look at planet Earth, it's, it's a closed system. We have everything we need to live on the planet. We have our atmosphere. We, we have our, our ability to, to make change. And one of the quotes that's famous from this series is she says, God is change from her earth seed uh, that she essentially goes through. And sadly, that was not completed. She passed away before she really finished the series, sadly. So we're kind of left to our own imagination where that would have really went. But the it ties in a lot of other sci-fi things. We cannot necessarily get into a faster than ship as much as we'd like to travel someplace else start a colony and have an earth too it's very unlikely so we really have to take really good care of what we have and that closed system even though it's so big and our individual actions seldom uh, really change too much we can't have an impact uh, and you look at it from that perspective and then parable of the sower and then and the follow-up book start to resonate very strongly and everyone I've talked to that's read these books, uh, they, they resonate very strongly with Earth as it is today, even though Octavia set this series starting in the year 2025 with her character, Lauren. So not that far away from now. We're in 2023 now as we record this. Right. I thought that that struck me when I was reading it, too. So she wrote this in 93, right? It was that's published right. in 93. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... Um, set it in 2025 which i always think it's interesting when sci-fi authors pick a particular date not that far in the future to be why do you think she she didn't say like 3023 or something you know something (laughs) where you'd have like maybe a better shot to have a completely changed world yeah, good point. And a lot of that comes down to as well during her time when she was writing a lot of this, she was already seeing some of the environmental issues. Uh, you you had Al Gore talking about some of this. We had the Gaia, the James, uh, I'm sorry, I'm losing my mind, the guy who wrote Gaia. But anyway, uh, very, very famous book had started to resonate uh, even before that. And you look at when, when she was living in Pasadena and, and other parts of California, we had earthquakes, we had issues in in other parts of the world and so forth. I think from her perspective, it didn't seem like it was going to be that far off before we got into this scenario where all we're doing is fighting crises and we have to have hope as to what we can do as a species and keep this, this planet uh, moving forward. Uh, it was interesting timing. Uh, you, you, you've all probably also heard of Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick's famous 1967-1966 work on, on 2001. Mm-hmm. And of course, 2001 didn't really work out the way the, the way they, right. they envisioned. <laughs> we, we do not have orbital spaceships uh, and, and space stations like they do and so forth. But on the other hand, we have some of the technologies that can make that work. And I think it's interesting because I think Octavia gave us some solutions too, where even in 2023, there's some things we could do to make things better. Yeah. I read a quote um, that she, in an interview, she talked about, I, I bet you know this already, the the Robert A. Heinlein yeah. quote, where he said, um, so this is an, a quote by Octavia Butler. Um, she was talking to an audience at MIT in 1998. She said, some time ago I read someplace that Robert A. Heinlein 
Heinlein? Heinlein, yeah. Heinlein had these three categories of science fiction stories. The what if category, the if only category, and the if this goes on category. And I liked the idea. So this is definitely an if this goes on story. And if it's true, if it's anywhere near true, we're all in trouble. Which it got me thinking about these different categories of science fiction. What if, if, what if, so just sort of speculative. If only, so maybe like a utopian sort of aspirational story. And then if this goes on, so grounding it in what's already happening and sort of speculating from real life events currently. Yeah, that's fascinating. And and I think some of what she writes touches on all three of those categories. Mm. Uh, but yeah, as, as I've read a lot of, and some of the science fiction I have to say is campy and you, you look at it and back when it was written, it was probably very interesting and a lot of fun to read. But of course, our technology tends to tends to change our viewpoint on, mm-hmm. on things. You know, we all have uh, uh, smart computers now. We have Alexa and blah, blah, blah around. So it, it's, it's changed our worldview. But when you look at, too, though, some of that technology has actually caused some damage to the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's heavy metals being mined sometimes by children, uh, which is really problematic and so forth. There's also a, a lot of of, of speculation as to what will happen if we exceed two degrees centigrade global warming. Will it make, get to the point where large parts of the planet are uninhabitable for hundreds of thousands of years uh, and so forth? And uh, I think her writing particularly covered that very, very well compared to other authors. What do you think it is about her writing that covers it so well? I think part of it is, is she, she quickly puts you in a situation where as you read Parables of the Sower, you start to realize, wow, this feels very close to my world, maybe plus one, mm. maybe plus a couple, maybe even plus three disasters. If we were to have some of the large fires she talks about, for example, all the time, which happens in her book, we can kind of see ourselves maybe being in this situation where the government's not quite working all that well, where you have to pay for 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 uh, uh, support services, for law enforcement, yeah. yeah, services, things like that. You, know, you look at that, and it's it's like, wow, that's uh, that's thing I could believe could happen, uh, and and so forth. And then she gives you that taste of hope. This is how we can avoid some of that. This mm-hmm. is the speculative part, sure. But if we put our minds to it and we realize this is happening, if we make some tweaks to how we do things, uh, we can actually prevent that from happening and keep it fiction. What do you think about the hyper-empathy aspect? So the main character in this book experiences hyper-empathy, which is she experiences physically what other people are experiencing, sort of like like an empath or something, what we might talk about now. Why do you think that was important for that character? Or do you? I, I really do. And I, I think Lauren's experiences also bring us back to that Gaia philosophy. If we're able to actually feel what happens to others, you can you can then take that by extension. You can feel what the society is going through. Mm. You can feel then what's going on to the planet. And maybe some, and unfortunately this was not developed because she, she passed away so so suddenly, unfortunately. Mm. But I was curious to see what the natural conclusion to that might have been. It could have went many different directions, but Lauren could have got to a situation where she could sense 
other things going on on the planet and maybe accelerate the healing process. And it ties into to the, to the religion that was being built up in, in here, the Earthseed uh, Foundation and so forth. So I think that that's something that was important to Octavia, but unfortunately I don't think we know the true arc of what was going to happen. Yeah, there was an article I read um, from someone who got to look through her papers. Did you read that one too? I, did, I didn't see all of it, no, so I'd love to hear more. Okay, this is a quote from the LA Review of Books. I guess we should say, so Octavia Butler was able to write two books in this series, um, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Talents, correct. And there was always supposed to be this third parable of the trickster is the third one but unfortunately she wasn't able to finish it and this speaks a little bit to that so this is the author writing in the la review of books last december i had the improbable privilege to be the very first scholar to open the boxes at the huntington that contained what butler had written of trickster before her death What I found were dozens upon dozens of false starts for the novel, some petering out after 20 or 30 pages, others after just two or three. The cycle of narrative failure is recorded over hundreds of pages of discarded drafts. Frustrated by writer's block, frustrated by blood pressure medication that she felt inhibited her creativity and vitality, and frustrated by the sense that she had no story for Trickster, only a situation, Butler started and stopped the novel over and over again from 1989 until her death, never getting far from the beginning. As a writer, that just like sends chills through me. It's mm. so tough. Yeah. When did she die? Uh, yeah, 2006. This article, I think it's Vulture. They were saying she planned on four more parable books. Oh, really? It okay. was going to be a long series. Oh, was it? It was going to okay. be Trickster, then Teacher, Chaos, and Clay. And they were going to be set on different planets. See, that's the thing that interests me, too, is what would have happened with Lauren with that empathic mm-hmm. sense moving forward? Um, if, if, if it would have went even one more book, I think some of that would have been closed. Because it seemed like, especially in this one, it hurt Lauren more than anything. Yeah. It seemed like it hurt her deeply. Yeah. Whenever something happened, it, she was debilitated for, for such mm-hmm. an extent of time. Why do you think Lauren was 15 years old in the first book? Why not have her be... 40 and have life experience or 22 why 15 that's a good question and I, i think a lot of it too comes down when we're at that age we've learned enough about life where we can sense what your place is going to essentially be but we're not really set in in our ways Mm. and so forth i think if she was older the earth seed uh, portion of it probably would not have been as, as interesting to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it would have been probably more rigid uh, and so forth, where this is she's setting up a framework for not only a way to live, but also a way to, to, to look to the future and so forth. And really the, the youth, a lot, of, a lot of that talent and power uh, exists there. The problem with the youth is sometimes they go off in, in, in multiple directions all at once and mm-hmm. have no organization. But I think if Lauren was an older character, the story probably wouldn't have been as, as interesting. It's such a bleak world that the book exists in that I think it would be really easy for an older person to be so completely jaded hopeless. and cynical. Hopeless. Yeah, totally also. hopeless. I think that's why a lot of dystopian stuff where the main characters are teenagers works well. Yeah. For those very reasons. You know, we talked about Divergent once. I think we talked about Hunger Games in that conversation. And just, I think you have to be old, like you said, old enough to know better, kind of, but too young to 
just give up completely. Yeah, yeah good point. Yeah. There's another book, uh, and it's it's quite older, by Isaac Asimov and Robert Silverberg uh, called Nightfall, uh-huh. that most of the characters were much older, and that's a wholly different uh, scenario uh, and, and so forth. But when disaster hits, most of the characters are older, and they quickly get out of the scene. Uh, they're quickly, most of them are wiped out, or they just can't cope, and they kind of go in, insane. It's the younger people that save the day. Mm. And in this case, they don't come in until, you know, you hear about them a little bit, but they're not main characters until later on. And it's, it, it's the young people that keep the society going. I mean, well, let's hope they do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you kids, this is on you now. Who, who, is the, who are the ones that are like five now? What is that, Gen Alpha? Yeah. Generation Alpha? Isn't that amazing? Nothing yeah. but pressure and weight on your shoulders yeah. is awaiting you, friends. The future is in your hands. Yeah. And if you're five, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. I'm just saying. <laughs> you're five. <laughs> and that is a Turn good it point. off. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point, too, because uh, it, it was considered young adult fiction, but there's some very serious was issues it? here. Uh, and you know, I can I can see uh, if I would have read this when I was Lauren's age, I probably would have had nightmares from it for a while. A long time. That's for sure. Yeah, there is. It's definitely a bleak setup, and I was thinking too about the just the physical situation in the very beginning of the book, where they're like literally walled off from the people. So Lauren, I think, is she's like what, what middle class maybe would be, yeah, and exactly, and the um, imp- truly impoverished people exist outside like of their gated community essentially, and there's you know tensions. I don't want to spoil anything, but tensions that build throughout. And, um, yeah, just, I thought that was such an interesting setting just to plop you into that, into that situation with, with class issues at Mm -hmm. the front. And I had read too that Octavia Butler grew up in poverty. It's, she's just like an amazing person. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. The, the, uh, limitations that she broke through. So like societally placed limitations, Mm -hmm. you know, she's a, a black woman, science fiction author, which you just don't see that often especially not during that time period especially not during then i read an article by nk jameson who i think it was just a blog article that she had written about how she was always compared to octavia butler because nk jameson is also a black woman science fiction writer brilliant author and of course you can't compare people to just any science fiction writer she was getting mad she didn't i bet she was and she talked about like yes i love octavia butler i revere her she's incredible our books are nothing alike like our literary styles are completely different yeah and i thought that was a really interesting delineation that she made between uh yeah we both write science fiction but there are (laughs) different kinds (laughs) (laughs) that's why i like the genre though because it's so expansive Mm -hmm. Uh, there's so much there yeah, good point. I had met Nishi Shaw a, a, quite a while back. She came to Detroit to do a couple conventions here and so forth. And she's got a great quote here. She says of Octavia, she doesn't flinch. Her specialty was to think about the things that people would rather not think about. Oh, totally. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. I love that quote. <laughs> totally. Well, that's it. That's something I was going to talk about with you guys today was um, like the idea of climate fiction. A definition of climate fiction is scientifically grounded sci-fi that takes place in the near future, illustrating the effects of climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, the article I read cited Oryx and Crake, the Margaret Atwood book, is like the one of the chief examples of that style of writing, mm-hmm. and how climate change is just like 
the thing that people don't want to think about because it's so overwhelming and scary. It's stressful. Yeah. I read a teen. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's middle grade. I think it's teen. Neil Schusterman. It's called Dry and it's about a drought. Mm. I haven't read that one. Oh my gosh. I I literally bit all my nails off. I was so, I had so much anxiety by the end of that book, but it feels so realistic. You know, we have droughts in California, we have the fires, we have all these things. And, um, one of the things I think you mentioned, Olivia was one of the things I really like about this book is that there is the class, um, differentiation while all this, um, climate issues are going on because you, see things in the news, you know, you see the um, effects of the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey, and and you can only imagine how that's going to devastate the lives of people that are working class, maybe lower class, versus if you've got the means and the money to move away from that area, go somewhere else, have another home somewhere else. And so I really like that in this book. And sorry, tangent, I don't even know what just made me think about that. But yeah. um, Oh, it's great. Yeah. You're right. It resonates. It does. Uh-huh. And just the idea going back to um, the climate books there, I know I don't generally, like this was stressing me out. I was reading last night. I was like, oh, this book is giving me anxiety because it feels like certain elements of this feel very plausible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it takes us back to living like in the medieval, medieval times where you have a wall. Mm-hmm. You can look over the wall and what you look over the wall is devastation. Right. And sure, that that's stressful and that's that's nasty, but then we look at it, and this is the part that I, I found fascinating about about her. Some of her other works, like Kindred's now a, a sci-fi series, it's mm-hmm. streaming now, uh, and so forth. If she would have been able to finish some of this, I think we would have had even more hope and possibilities because we don't know what. Again, we're going back to Lauren, where that talent was going to take us. Do we need to be more empathetic as a society? And because of that, maybe that would help us make better choices. I don't know. Sometimes we, we just kind of get locked in our day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And because we, you know, sure, you, you see sometimes people on the street that you're, you're worried about and so forth. But a lot of times we just go from day-to-day and we, we have very little exposure to what other people are experiencing yeah. uh, and all that because we have our own walls. And I think some of that wall thing was was symbolic in her way to make us look at, well, if I cross over that wall, sure, there's fear because sure they could steal from me, mm-hmm. sure they they could they could do something terrible to me and so forth. But on the other hand, somebody outside that wall maybe what we need to save society. Wow. They might have that brilliant thought, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's the part that you know, gives me some some hope there. You know, science fiction gives you these these ideas, and some people would say they're crazy, like put a mylar shield between us and the sun and mm-hmm. cut down some of the solar radiation, and maybe that would solve climate change. Well, it can't be that easy. If, if, if we could put a shield up, up like that, uh, you know, probably somebody would have already tried to do it uh, and so forth. But on the other hand, if you put a shield up like that, would it then be too easy for us to do the next thing to the climate? How are mm-hmm. we going to solve the water issues? Yeah. We live in the Great Lakes here in Troy. Uh, we're, we're very blessed. We have all the natural water we could probably ever need for hundreds of years. But like you said, if, if you look at like the Southwest, they mm-hmm. don't have that. They're thinking of piping the, uh, the Great Lakes water to Phoenix. Oh. Is that going to solve the problem? No. Right, yeah. <laughs> so Octavia makes us think. Yeah, definitely. And what you said about, uh, you know, the person on the outside of the fence might be the person that we need to help, you know, the brilliant mind to help us solve these problems. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of Octavia Butler and how, you know, there are so many different ways that she could have been dismissed by society, growing up in poverty, a minority, a woman, you know, all of these different mm-hmm. 
ways that she, you know, was probably dismissed and could have been dismissed, Mm -hmm. but she became this like, yeah, yeah, like a, like of this brilliant mind that influenced society in this major way. And so many different writers, there was a, an article in lit, sorry, in lit hub called the grand cultural influence of Octavia Butler. And it was all these different writers who wrote in to say the ways that Octavia Butler had inspired them and, doesn't she have like a space station or something named after her? Isn't that fascinating? Yes, uh, she's she's got uh, some some interesting stuff named after her. She's got a bookstore recently that just opened too in California. Nice. Uh, that's that's uh, named after her as well. So I'm glad to see she's getting the recognition she yeah. deserves. Yes, you, you know, like you said earlier, Olivia, a lot when she was kind of in her prime, she was not as well recognized mm-hmm. uh, and and so forth. It really came after. The article, one of the articles I read was talking about how when she first started out, um, she realized they weren't promoting her materials. And so she started um, reaching out to magazines like Essence and Miss Magazine and all that and asking them to review her books. And then she would go to conferences and try and get people to um, become aware of her, which I thought was really interesting. And she felt really insulted at one point because a bigger publisher, I don't know if it was Random House or I feel like it was Doubleday. They just weren't promoting her books like they were other people. And I'm guessing probably the time, the fact that she was a black writer, the fact that she was a woman and she's writing science fiction. And then they wanted to then push it off as just fiction. And I just can't even imagine how frustrating that would be when you know what you're doing and you've got a good product that you've done, but you have to market and sell yourself, even though you have agents and you have a publishing house. So it's great that she's still around and that she, what was it in 20... What year was it that she finally, she made the top? 2020. Was it 2020 where her yeah. book was in the top, what, five or 10 again on the publishing list? Isn't that astounding? And you you look at that, how long it took. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a very good point, too. If you're spending all your energy having to do all the things, right. then it makes it hard to do creativity. And she had jobs stuff. while she was doing sure, this. Sure. And she said she used to get up at 2 a.m. and write good until Lordy. the sun came up. Then she'd go to work and she would take um, caffeine pills to stay awake during Isn't that the day. And that, that probably and it's contributed like, to her shnikes. health, too. Yeah, it's awful. all that stuff on your heart. Yeah. Um, why was it 2020? Was it on one of the lists? I forget which politician had the list of books that people shouldn't read, which then skyrocketed a lot of stuff into people's. That's I think awareness. what happened too. And, and it's, it's, uh, you, you look at that and it's, it's some of these negative influences. You know, of course it, it goes completely opposite what they expect, but it did yeah. raise her popularity. And then the other thing that, that has been useful too is, is with all the climate change discussion and so mm-hmm. forth uh, it's, it's, it's brought up. And then right as, is essentially she was, she was ascending prominence. The streaming stuff started, mm-hmm. they were looking for content. Yeah. You have all these different competing streaming services. They're looking for ideas. You know, there's only one Game of Thrones. There's yeah. there's only one Star Trek. There's only one Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and so forth. What else can yeah. we do? And it turns out she had quite quite some some deep catalog back there mm-hmm. that a lot of it was was it, I wouldn't say it was suppressed. It's just it wasn't on your your must read in high school type list. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I don't know about yours, but our list was all dead white male authors, and I was in high school in the nineties. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's very true. I was a little bit before you. I was in the '80s, and you know, I have to say, I, I had I read some interesting stuff, and I, I appreciated that. Sure. But really, the science fiction was never really a priority, mm-hmm. uh, even at, at university. Uh, it was there was clubs you had to take and, the yeah you had to take the specialty classes if they right. offered them exactly. 
Yeah. But. Yeah. Well said. And a lot of it, uh, it's, it's easier now, of course, because of the internet, but you know, mm-hmm. back then in the, in the, in the nineties and in the eighties and before, uh, you had to, you had to troll the library yeah. <laughs> and, and the place to be when, yeah, exactly. Whenever a book came in, okay, I'm going to try take it home, try it out. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it, it that's really how I got interested in Octavia is I happened to cross uh, one of her books in one of the lists back in the, in the, in the 90s mm-hmm. uh, as she was publishing and so forth, and I loved it. I just loved it. Uh, and then I didn't realize until much later that she'd passed away. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I thought she was still alive until I started researching for this. Yeah, something I read said that she had always wanted to be a New York Times bestselling yes. author. And it didn't happen until 2020. Yep. But she was the first sci-fi author to win a MacArthur Genius Grant. Yeah. Fabulous. She got it like a couple years after um, this, right? After the Parable of the Sower? I don't have that in front of me. I feel like I read that today. <laughs> Let me see. When did oh, she? Oh, you don't have to look at it. I'm looking that up. <laughs> um, so while Olivia's looking that up, can we talk about the title? Parable mm, of the Sower, mm-hmm. which is a nod to um, the Bible, um, Matthew, and I, I had to Google it because I don't memorize the Bible because I'm a bad Catholic, but um, Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Do you want to talk a little bit about the significance of the title? Certainly, we certainly could, but I also want to cover too that Octavia herself was considered an atheist. Interesting. So is, isn't that fascinating? Mm. And of course, one of the main characters in this book is a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's uh, it's certainly part of it. But when I look at that, uh, and and you you had covered earlier all the possible books that she was looking to write after that, mm-hmm. starting with the sower, starting with Earth Seed, starting to possibly plant a new religion or at least a new way to to think at life, is that what she was really going for for the for the long term in the series or not. And when you sow to start your seeds, uh, and Lauren was clearly trying to do some of this, talking about Earth Sea, and I've, uh, I read the graphic novel, the library has it, so I, I checked it out and, and read mm-hmm. it. The graphic novel actually has art that kind of shows her writing in her notebook and making this Earth Seed Books of the Living. Mm-hmm. She was essentially sowing uh, this, this process that could possibly bring us to the hope part and unfortunately we never really got there fully in the series Mm -hmm. so yeah interesting start uh and uh i didn't think to to go into the the text like you did manda you're amazing uh but uh, you you have to tell my boss that next time they're doing reviews and like raises (laughs) absolutely uh but you know you you, a seed uh you you have to sow a seed for it to grow Mm -hmm. if you have it in your pocket if you have it in the box nothing's going to happen that's so interesting. It's so interesting to think about how, you know, if she, when she was alive, we were still in, you know, this, this climate change fear and um, how I don't think anyone could really write like a hope. If you could, like if you could write a hopeful ending mm-hmm. or like, a, I would love to read it. Could someone please <laughs> just tell us what to do? Well, there are some oh. that, that go that way, but you, you look at it and it's like, okay. And, you know, unfortunately this, this brings to where I'm an older guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some cynicism that we're yeah. actually going to do it because there's so many competing demands uh, sure. on our resources. Uh, and again, this doom loop where all you're fighting is crisis to crisis. It's very easy to get lost in that. Uh, and, you know, you see some people that they watch the weather channel 
channel all day, uh, you know, and you feel for them, it's, it entertains them. And that's, if that works for them, okay. But on the other hand, if you get outside, you can actually experience the weather. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole different world. Uh, but going back to, to some of that too, is she was writing this before the internet really took off. Mm-hmm. So uh, because of that, it's, it's interesting too, because her setting of 2025 and beyond, you notice there's not a lot of high technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the government and law enforcement and so forth clearly has some, sure. but they don't have access to it. I think elements like that is what makes it timeless for me. You know, we've talked before about how to make a book stay relevant. And anytime they leave out um, a lot of the technological discussions, I feel like it's going to stay relevant longer than if I'm reading it and you're like, in 2025, there's going to be flip phones. And, you know, it's like, well, we already had those in the, what, late 90s, early 2000s. And so I like that that was not in there. Mm-hmm. I miss the days before the internets. Yes. There are times, yeah, certainly we read a lot <laughs> read a lot more than we do now. Yeah. We had a lot more focus. It was just a different world. I feel like we had less fear. It was that whole ignorance is bliss, and I miss that, and I'm glad I grew up before Yeah, the internet got so, so, so. I know what you is. mean about timelessness in books. I've never minded if something isn't timeless. In fact, sometimes I do like thinking about what people thought the future was going mm-hmm. to be like, especially in movies. Like, um, I recently watched Terminator for the first time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's like somebody like the big buttons, you know, yeah. and some stuff they kind of got right. Like there sure. was, you know, I think there was like a FaceTime kind of version. I can't remember what it was. We were watching a like a marathon of those sort of like 80s sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, it's sometimes they do get it right. Like, oh, that did actually happen. Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. That did actually happen. And sometimes it's like, no, we still wouldn't be having like physical buttons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fun to think about that sort of speculative stuff. Like, what would the world be like? But then again, Amanda and I recently watched like a teen movie from the 99, 90s. I think. And there were no phones. And it was really, have you ever played the game Chronophoto? I no. have not, no. That game is so fun. You just look up, I think you can just Google Chronophoto game. I can't remember what that URL is. But it's it just shows you a picture from sometime between 1900 and 2021. And you have to guess where on the timeline the picture was taken. Oh, wow. And so I usually am pretty good at it because I know this, especially toward the end of that chunk, because of fashion like mm-hmm. if there are women in the picture i usually and if sure. it's in the states i can usually tell when it was like oh i had those sandals that was 1994 <laughs> look at those birkenstocks <laughs> and it's almost like to the t exactly right but the weirdest one so i've been obsessively playing it was when i had one where people were wearing masks and i was like oh that was 2021 like it you can just see how history mm-hmm. sort of plays out over time and you just can pretty much pinpoint exactly when something was happening and, and when you look at two and that's where the graphic novel is is kind of fun to see too because mm-hmm. the the artist uh and and it's really cleverly done when when the fire and so forth is drawn on the walls it mm-hmm. looks like a cross between a modern wall like we'd build with like uh, the border walls and so forth that mm-hmm. we heard during the president trump era and all that and a cross of what you would see like in medieval england 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really cleverly done. And I don't know if Octavia thought that, and maybe it was in her notes, I'm not sure what, what these walls were mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. But you look at that, and it's like it, it's a mix of going back and then what we have today. Mm-hmm. So in, in some cases, the parable of the sower, the setting, sets you back to like the 1600s and mm-hmm. how people lived there. And But you bring it forward into climate change where it's sometimes even hard to breathe because of, yeah. of, of the, the high chemical uh damage that we've done to the atmosphere yeah. and all that and how do you fix some of that and when you talk about the photos we've seen all the photos about like the superfund sites and when they have oil pipe leaks and things like that you see some of that those would not be the case if you go back 100 years right. you know for example those things didn't exist you didn't have these massive pipelines right what you were saying about the wall is um our border wall Um, that came to me earlier in our conversation. And I was thinking when I read a lot of times, I'm looking for something that feels, um, I don't want to say relevant, but almost relevant, like something that I can identify as, yeah, this is going on in my life too. You know, you look for those connections, right? And I was thinking about this and, you know, how this is still relevant. And of course, you know, when this was getting popular again, it was when we're talking about the wall a lot. Um, you know, obviously the climate change things, but I was even thinking about the um, police violence towards people of color during yes. that time when this was um, becoming popular again. And the relationship that um, Lauren's community has with the police where you have to, you know, pay them to do a service and sometimes they'll rob people blind or beat somebody up and everything. And it's like, I've never had those experiences, but I wonder if some of those things resonate with some of the people that are reading this for the first time in the early 2020s. So. Yeah, well said. I think that's that's a, a good point. You know, and then you look at it too, like volunteer fire departments mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. If you do not pay the fees, well, of course, they don't have the resources to fight all the fires. Sure. Your house could burn uh, and, and, and so forth. So it's, it's not just the, the, the police, it's, it's all civil services that mm-hmm. you have. Uh, she describes a situation where they've mostly broken down, but they're available to a select few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, extrapolating that, we kind of have that today. There, there's, there's so many people in, in the United States and other parts of the world that they don't have access to those basic services. They don't mm-hmm. have clean water. Yeah. Uh, they don't have reliable law enforcement and so forth. Uh, and, and, and looking at, and again, if she could have continued the series, it might have been interesting to see how she was going to solve some of this. Mm-hmm. But it, it makes us think, okay, how can we as individuals and how can we as being empathetic, being part of a society, how can we make that better so that there's wider access to it? Mm-hmm. Totally. That's, that's so true. And I, I was thinking too about how confronting this story was for me, how hard it was to read because mm-hmm. it is, it's a bleak, it's a bleak world that she creates. And when I first was reading it, I just thought like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to read it. Like it's so, so it's hard to read. Like if you are an empathetic person, hard to read. But then it did sort of occur to me that that, really indicates that I come from a place of great privilege that mm-hmm. this is so confronting because this might be someone's, you know, it might yeah. not yeah. be so far off, you know, from someone's reality. And that's the thing that makes me uncomfortable when I was reading it. Yeah. I was like, you know, we live a very privileged life and I don't have to deal with problems like this. And so it, it makes me squirm a little bit. And anytime I'm reading something like that, I'm like, okay, I definitely have to push through this because you have to see how it's going to come together. You have to kind of confront your own baggage sometimes with book or stories or tools. So yeah. Cause if you're, if you 
get wall yourself off from it. You don't know what's happening and you don't feel compelled to fix it or yeah. contribute to a fix. Well said. Yeah. And, and another thing I got out of this that was, that was interesting and, and I apologize for making you both slog through it. No, it, it's, it's a, it's a challenge. <laughs> no, it, it, it's not that bad, <laughs> no. but it, it comes down to, uh, I, I think, uh, sh- through her eyes and through her writing, it helps us realize that climate change could make all of us to the point where we're unprivileged yeah. anymore. It, yes, exactly. That And that's the thing. It's, it's the thing that we all just don't want to think about because yeah. it's so scary. But if we yeah. don't think about it. It's going to be the great equalizer. Everyone's going to be on the same playing field if nobody has access to water or right. clean air at the same time. Um, this is not bad. If someone asks us to read Anna Karenina, I'm going to be like, you, you can't be on the podcast. I'm not doing that again. I'm, I did I'm it rooting once. for the train. I'm not doing this twice. Been there, done that. I have the t-shirt. Yeah. Oh my God. None of the Russians. Somebody was like, oh, I would like to do one of the Russian authors. And I'm like, oh, I won't be on that pa- podcast because I don't. We're doing it. I don't do the Russians. We're doing it. No. We're doing it. There'll be a guest. Guest. That graphic novel is really good. Yeah, I have it I right now it. too. Yeah, it's it, it's one of these things too. I'm going back to some of the books that I read when I was a child mm-hmm. or or later on, and I'm realizing, well, hey, there's these graphic novels. This is really awesome. Yeah, and it's it, it gives you a different viewpoint. Uh, so I I really am grateful. And then of course mm-hmm. sometimes the audiobooks totally. uh, can be just you know fascinating. It's interesting in graphic novels sometimes what the artist sees as important. That when you read the book, you don't necessarily pick up on. Yeah. Or maybe exactly. you do, and you're an inner artist, and you well, guys are aligned. Yeah, graphic novels. We um, love graphic novels. But, uh, <laughs> Jeff, would you like to talk about what you're reading now, and or would you like to talk about your work with the Friends? Certainly. Well, I can do both very briefly. So okay. currently I'm reading Daniel Suarez's Critical Mass, which is a of course, science fiction book set in the more distant future. So it's past uh, Octavia's uh, uh, place setting here. But it looks at using asteroid mining, making that, uh, taking essentially what what Elon Musk's SpaceX and what uh, the uh, Jeff Bezos Blue Origin and some of the other uh, companies and, and governments are doing. And it extrapolates that in the future, bringing some of those resources to Earth orbit and putting up solar power satellites and essentially solving climate change that way. Oh. Uh, so it's a very different world. So uh, I'm really enjoying that one. Just about done with it, actually. Would you say that's a hopeful take? It really is. Yeah. Uh, the people that are in it go through a lot of very serious difficulties. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough life for them. Uh, but it's, it's setting a hopeful tone. Uh, and that's something that could also happen in, in our near future. There's already firms that are looking to do robotic asteroid mining and so forth. So we'll see if that gels or not. But this is clearly science fiction, and uh, I'm really enjoying the, the works. And that's Critical Mass? It's called Critical Mass. It's actually the second book of the series. The first is called Delta V, okay. uh, and that was written just a few years back. So I'd highly recommend it. Uh, they're pretty quick reads, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so th- th- that's really what I'm finishing up now. But I'm also, and I, I do this every couple years, I'm rereading the entire Robert Jordan, Brandon Sanderson Wheel of Time. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. a massive, massive effort. Sure. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of all the streaming stuff, looking for content, did that finally make its way i know they were it talking did. about doing it what is that on so it's on amazon prime, prime. Uh, the second season should be out pretty soon okay. i have to say to me it was a bit uneven i i, I liked it in a way and okay. it's it's interesting it, i don't want to spoil it. it it goes a little bit different than the book so it's interesting if, you, if, you, if you've read the books but i think it's also approachable for those that have not read the books but unfortunately they, they got hit during the pandemic the last two episodes really suffer because of that oh, uh, for sure. they did they did not know how to handle the pandemic 
pandemic and it messed them up. And unfortunately, rather than delay it, they pushed through it and it probably could have been better. Yeah. So I'm hoping for the second season. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. I heard that in reviews. Would you, would it be too much to ask you to send us your top 10 sci-fi fantasy titles? I'd love to. I'd be happy I to. Think that be an honor. Put that on the website, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we get those questions a lot and I think you'd be a great go-to yes. top 10 person. Absolutely. So that's my little secret too, as part of the friends. Uh, uh-huh. I'm able to see books that come in and a lot of times it kind of rounds out uh, mm-hmm. it, because a lot of the people here in Troy and those that donate to, to the friend shop to support the library, they've seen books that I've never even thought of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even here at the library, I've only read probably less than a tenth of, of your sci-fi offerings here. So there's just enormous uh, amounts uh, available. But at the Friends, because I work with IT, a lot of times I'm asked, are, are there ways that we can expand our reach to bring more to the library? Mm-hmm. One of our challenges that we have, and my company does this, we have a lot of people traveling to Troy to do business. Mm-hmm. Well, while you're here, why don't you stop by the library, mm-hmm. go through our bookshop, go through the library itself, mm-hmm. um, and and and, and see kind of what's going on. So we're, we're trying to widen our reach uh, so that people that are in transit realize that we have services here that you can still take advantage of. Sure. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on our friends board too. We talked about the friends a bit in our holes episode with April mm-hmm. and the president of the friends. And then, I mean, we are just so grateful for our absolutely. friends and the work you do. Thank you if, so much for doing this. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You were like a dream guest. <laughs> so interesting. I wasn't even so. talking because I was just listening to This is not Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.